Hey, welcome back to Software Social. This episode is brought to you by Translate CI. Translate CI is a tool for developers that helps you localize applications with high quality human translations. It supports over 70 language pairs. Translate CI eliminates the need to work out of spreadsheets, hire translators, and manually merge language files. Instead, with Translate CI, you can just use Git. Just connect your Git repo and Translate CI will pull out phrases, and after a professional translator translates everything, they will merge into your existing code base with a pull request. And every time you push code to your Git repository, Translate CI will pull any new phrases out, translate them, and create a PR back. See how you can turn translation from a hassle into a breeze at translateci.com. Hey everyone, um, I'm so excited. Um, I have our friend Jesse Haney from Bento here with us today. Good day, everyone. <laughs> so, um, Jesse, you have you're, you're such an interesting founder. So, you were a digital nomad for a long time as a marketer, right? Um, mm -hmm. And for the past four years, you have been running Bento, which is like it's like email automation, like kind of like you like compete with like Drip, right? Yeah, I mean, the easiest comparison, I think, for most people is like customer IO and, and Drip, those type of tools. Um, but we've got a good product suite that also serves e-com. So um, if people are in e-commerce, then there's another tool called Clavio. So we're kind of like a put ourselves in the middle of those two tools. Um, but yeah, it's it's interesting. Bento has also been kind of like my passion project over the past like four years, which we can kind of like dig into a bit, but it's been all the things that I've wanted as I've been working in marketing. And I just kind of like built the tools myself, put them in a nice little package. And then, yeah, now I just flog them online. <laughs> Love that. So, so you were a nomad for a long time as a marketer mm -hmm. running this agency. And then you put down roots in Japan, uh, like last year, two years ago. Um, Whenever, a little bit before COVID. I think okay, like yeah. I, yeah, I made the decision to settle in. I, I met a friend down south. Uh, that friend is now my wife, but I met a friend <laughs> down south of Japan. Uh, and after like traveling for, I think since 2015 or so, like I'd spend half the year in Asia, half the year in Europe. Um, and I was running all my stuff. And it, honestly, it's just, it's not efficient. It's like quite a romantic lifestyle because you're living out of hotels and you're seeing cool parts of the world. Um, but it's very fatiguing. And I think uh, as my business is just starting to like kind of kick up just before COVID or the year before COVID, um, I when I got the offer to move into this friend's apartment, I kind of just took it and it just felt like the right move at the time. And then, uh, then yeah, then the world shut down. <laughs> it definitely was the right move to kind of be locked in, in Japan because Japan's actually been quite nice during COVID to kind of like stay in because I don't know, I love Asia. Um, out of all the places I've been in the world, I love Asia as a region and I really like Japan. So being kind of locked down here for the last two and a bit years has actually been quite nice. That's really interesting because I, I feel like there's this, and we kind of talked about this a little bit last week of like, there's this, as you said, romantic vision of like what being a nomad is mm -hmm. like. And, um, you know, for those of us who do run our own businesses, but like have kids, that's kind of not... <laughs> Something we, I yeah. mean, I guess I do know some people who are nomads with kids, but it's a, it's a little more challenging. But like, I, I like I've heard that like you know moving from place to place, like there, there's all this like mental overhead of like you have to figure out like where to buy groceries and where to live and like all of this kind of stuff that like 
living in one place you don't really have to think about like like how was your experience of that um I mean that's kind of like some of those problems like are the romantic problems so like not knowing where groceries are is like a fun Saturday adventure and like knowing you know the good cafes to work out is like another fun adventure or um you know finding apartments can be an adventure it can be like a horrible adventure but um (laughs) it's yeah I don't know moving around it's uh I don't know all those problems if you have the right perspective are quite enjoyable and they do kind of make things interesting because when I was traveling I was working Monday to Friday 40 hours a week um if not sometimes like more or sometimes less just depending um and the way that I would do is just try and like live out my life normally Um, and then a lot of my exploring would be like on Saturdays and Sundays. Um, and I would just go out or meet friends or whatever. Um, but at the time I was also trying to, you know, I was staying in apartments and I was staying in hotels. Um, I did have a lot of friends that were also staying in hostels and stuff, but for me, it was really important that like, I tried to have as much of a stable life as I could. Um, yeah, it does get pretty expensive though. Um. Yeah, it was actually really expensive when I kind of look back on it, but it was worth it. And also there was like a pretty interesting trade-off. A lot of the long-term relationships and even like some of my best customers now, all of them, like I met on the road. Um, And I reckon, yeah, if I think about it, like I had a return from the people that I met on the road, even though it was a really expensive way of life, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So yeah, you just meet a lot of communities. Like I traveled around the US, traveled around Europe, traveled around Asia, and you just meet so many wonderful amazing humans that um yeah even during covid and stuff like a lot of those humans were either clients or we worked together or we did you know joint venture projects um yeah it made sense for me at least that yeah that's all it was like an investment in in your Mm. um i don't know entrepreneur community which i think for it's like it's so important right because like most of us don't really know people in our normal daily lives who do this weird internet job thing um and and having that community but also globally is i mean is so valuable i mean i mean i'm here in denmark and you're in japan like um i think that's that's case in point enough and so so you on, started on that note, just, yeah. yeah sorry to interrupt you but like on that note um we've like spoken a lot in slack and stuff and i think previous jesse like pre-covid when I would have traveled to Europe because we had chatted online, if you were game, like we probably would have met up or something because um, we have chatted a bit online. Like it would have been easy for me to kind of go to Denmark and just kind of hang out. Um, so that was how I was making a lot of relationships. I'd meet people online, meet people on Twitter or whatever. You'd chat and you'd be like, all right, like I'm in a country kind of close. Um, do you want to catch up? And then we'd kind of catch up that way. Um, so a lot of my travels were guided kind of like that. Like I would meet people online and then, kind of catch up which kind of sounds weird like when I say it out loud but, I feel like there, um, like there is this kind of like quick like fast friendship sort of quick intimacy that comes especially if it's like someone mm. you've been tweeting with for like a couple of years like there was someone that I think I had met them like once at a conference and we didn't even really talk that much but then like they they live like an hour from us and so like last year I was like hey like come to our house and like hang out with us for the afternoon and like let's do the fire pit and like let's like you know like hang out and it was so interesting because it was like yeah I hadn't really hung out with them or or you know their their wife before or but like but it was like we had so much to talk about and we we're so comfortable with one another like 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 I had that experience too at, at Founder Summit where there was people who I had mm. never 
actually met before, but then like I'm, you know, going to find a place at lunch or whatever. And I'm like, oh, like there's it was Ellen Crane from Homeschool Boss. And I was like, oh, there's Ellen. Like, and I just sit down and talk to her. And it was like, we had been friends for such a long time. Like there's just this, it's, it's, I don't know. Internet friends are awesome. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. yeah, that sounds nice. That yeah. uh, that experience of like having friends over who you've met online, I've had that a couple of times. And it's, it is the best. So, yeah, yeah. So okay, so you, so your your background is a marketer, right? Uh, kind of. Um, so <laughs> I, yeah. So after school, I was really into fitness, um, and I did a couple of uh, bodybuilding shows, and so I was like, all right, what am I going to do? I don't have any idea about university. So I am going to um, uh, just start working. So I started working as a personal trainer and then I worked in retail. And then uh, when I was in retail, uh, I was bored because uh, I was in the CBD, at, like you know, the center of Sydney, and uh, no one really buys supplements in the afternoon. And so I was like, oh, I'm not going to play video games in the store. So I might build them like an e-commerce website. That sounds fun. So I like learned Magento and I spun up like an instance and I got going. I actually started to make some sales. And then my boss was like, oh, do you want to come down to Canberra, which was about what's that, three hours out of Sydney? And I had no other plans. I was like, yeah, all right, I'll move down. Um, so packed up all my stuff, moved down to Canberra. And then um, when I was in Canberra, I rocked up to the in quotes office and the office is like a barn in a farm. <laughs> and he's like, this is where all the magic happens. And it was literally like the dirtiest warehouse like I've ever seen. And um, from there began this like pretty crazy journey of four years working with this guy on this kind of cluster of companies. And I kind of did anything in tech related to these businesses. So did all the e-com Self-taught myself SEO. The site started doing like quite significant revenue. Um, part like I think it surpassed like a million a year um, just in like ecom rev. And then we were also spinning up stores and gyms and distribution businesses. So I got to kind of play in the full commerce stack whilst kind of having like free reign on whatever I wanted to do. Like I taught myself email marketing. I taught myself SEO. I taught myself ads. I taught myself, you know, how to set up abandoned card emails using a cart hook like i think i was one of jordan's like first customers i think that's how i started like talk to him on support and stuff um and then then after a while uh things started to get stressful because we were importing heavily from the u.s and uh, um by the way is this interesting to talk about um you are a former bodybuilder <laughs> who self-taught themselves marketing and development and is a like case in point of making your own luck yes this is interesting okay cool all right, all right, okay. <laughs> i'm just like sitting here wrapped listening okay okay okay, I, okay I'll, I'll continue so um uh what it was like the business as it was kind of growing pretty rapidly um we were uh it was, it was a full male team of bodybuilders so quite a lot of like energy in that room so like um, bodybuilders men people probably taking testosterone there is a lot of testosterone going on in this work environment uh, yes yeah you <laughs> nailed it um and so you know and there's there's huge egos right and my ego was also starting to get like a little bit tainted and um i was like all right like um what's my future as well. So I started thinking about this. Whilst whilst I'm thinking about my future, the businesses are growing, uh, there was a macro trend happening. And that macro trend was that the Australian dollar was tanking against the US dollar at a rate of our margins. <laughs> so uh, if we were making 30% margins, the US dollar was essentially like 
getting stronger against the Australian by about like 30%. So we started losing a lot of our buying power. And then the 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 CFO was also my roommate. And so he he had all the things. He's like, I don't like the looks of this. This isn't really looking too fab. And so we both kind of like, you know, looked at the painting on the wall and we're like, all right, what are we going to do? And so I, I think I was up to the chapter in like the four-hour work week where it's like, negotiate with your boss to leave and work remotely i'm like that sounds smart so um i went at a gym session i chatted to my boss and uh told him that i wanted to work remotely and i don't know he he was such like he was at the, gym. the most gracious Just, guy at, at did the, you gym. Go to the gym first yeah. or this is at like you had your meeting like your heart to heart with him at like the, the business owned two gyms so we we would do gym sessions during the day it was very, so, it was very so like you had your like one on one with him basically while you're like pumping iron and you're like, I think I want to move to, you know, China or Japan or France or whatever. And like it was like, Thailand. The- I wanted to move to. Yeah. Thailand. And I still remember it. Like he, he's <laughs> okay. like he's doing like tricep extensions. And I'm I'm like I'm telling him I'm like, hey, man, like I, I want to work from my lap, like laptop remotely. I can do my whole job online. He just looked at me and was like, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> like, like dis- disappointed. And it was like, do I have, I think he, he said something along the lines of like, do I have an option or anything? And I was like, no, nah, this is what I want to do. And then we just continued working out. And like, like is he that. making that face, that disappointed face because he's like straining his muscles or because he's like upset with what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I, and then like, that was kind of it. And then I basically booked my tickets and then started uh, working. And well, wait, wait, kind so, of like, so wait, okay. So you, sorry, I'm just going to, just summarize correctly. So you have this meeting with your boss while working out to ask him to if you can work from Thailand. And then yeah. he grunts at you. <laughs> and then you packed up and did your job from Thailand. Yeah, basically. Basically. Okay, <laughs> okay cool. Um, and, and, and again, to like summarize that period, I think like the years that I was in that business well, by far the most formative, like the amount of freedom that he gave me. And it was just, it was the most unconventional business. Um, the amount of freedom that he gave me and like the amount of decisions that I was making at like 19, 20, 21, 22 was just like, was ridiculous. Um, and also like the amount of, we had like a whole warehouse of like pre-workout supplements, which is like caffeine. So we took a lot of, <laughs> we conceived a lot of caffeine to get the work done. So we definitely overworked and burn in the midnight fuel, but I was young. So like I could, like, I felt like I could do that. Um, but yeah, it just kind of was a catalyst for really unconventional kind of growth. Um, and there was like a pursuit of excellence in the business, which like I, I quite liked. We were always trying to do stuff better we were always trying to look for stuff to do um and no one was really a slacker and like when issues would happen like we would order you know too many containers for the warehouse so the whole thing would have to be like restacked and done didn't matter who you were you'd you'd pick up you know you'd roll up your sleeves and you would repack the whole warehouse (laughs) um and i think it just kind of taught me a lot and so then i ended up taking a lot of that energy i think on the road with me and probably still have like a lot of it today so i i do thank him in particular, just for like the freedom that he gave me and a lot of the unconventional mentorship um, that I got. So what year was this that you um, have this pivotal workout meeting and move to Thailand? Uh, I'm going to go to quickly go to Nomad List. Let's scroll to the bottom. 
2015, I think. 2014 was 2014, uh, when yeah. the ne- when the negotiation happened, and then 2015 was yeah when I started traveling around. And so you moved to Thailand, and then like was he, he basically like was this your only client at the time? Like was your plan to yeah start an agency, or was it just to like work remote? Yeah, it was, I am switching from employee to consultant um, and I just have to get everything done that I was doing before. That that was the only kind of uh, negotiation. So then how did that grow into an agency? How did that grow into an agency? Um, <laughs> like what was the next uh, evolution of that? Well, I didn't really know like what, yeah, it's kind of interesting. So I think like, I felt that there was also like a little bit of risk, um, like having one client, which was my boss who I knew the CFO and I like knew that the finances weren't like looking too hot. So I started to kind of like mentally hedge a little bit, but I didn't really know like what I could package my skills up as. So I think like the first version of like Jesse's work online was just like kind of like a handyman. (laughs) It was like, if, if I found an opportunity of something to work with where I could apply the same skills that I was using in uh, e-com and stuff, then I basically sold them to people. So if people had, you know, met someone that had an e-commerce website, or I met someone online, or I met someone in like a forum or something, I would basically just help out the website with uh, whatever they needed. Um, you know, setting up abandoned carts, welcome sequences, learning copywriting, and a lot of this stuff I was learning on the job um as well so i would take up work that maybe i wasn't really qualified for but i knew i could work i could figure it out and then i'd figure it out and i really cared about clients and i really cared about what i was delivering so um felt like i delivered yeah kind of good work in in those early years and then it kind of evolved from there so i kind of started niching because uh, there was stuff that i really enjoyed i really enjoyed the seo side i really enjoyed uh paid marketing and so focused on that and then started kind of hiring help um yeah, I, mean, I can go like d- deeper or not. Yeah, no, I mean, you <laughs> said that like you did, like you didn't go to college or university, as you mm-hmm. would say. And so, like, but it sounds like instead you you basically got paid to get this education, yeah. and I, it's kind of it's amazing, uh, honestly. Um, and yeah. that you somehow you convinced all of these people that you were capable of doing these things that you didn't know how to do and then you just learned them on the job yeah a lot of that was also um uh in the company that i worked for sales was actually a really heavy aspect of it um and so like you know trying to call up a bodybuilder in a retail store and getting to buy a product (laughs) to put on his shelf is a hard thing to do um and and I would pick up the phone and call people at times and I would pick up the phone and try and sell and I read sales books and all that. So like the sales part has served me probably better than any other skill as well. Um, upon reflecting on it now, I, the, I think the sales part was kind of key because uh, I, could, I could sell people that I could, I could help them and then I would obsess about trying to actually deliver good products and then they would recommend me to others and then, you know, put in the work from there. So let's do um, a little role play then. I'm going to be pretend to, no. to be a running a bodybuilding store in rural Denmark. <laughs> I will put on my best tough guy voice. 
um, and you're going to call me and try to sell me some stuff because I'm really curious to hear like exactly how you would approach that pitch. Uh, yeah, sure. So like okay. if I was calling, you, so, so, so let's say I went bring, bring and, and you picked up and you, you say, hello. Yeah. So then, and, and then I say, Hey, like, you know, my name's Jesse and I'm from such and such. Um, let's say Jesse's distribution company. You'd probably hang up. What do you want? <laughs> no, no, you just hang up. Um, okay. frankly. Okay. Yeah. So Climb. then what I would, <laughs> so then what I would probably do, um, and what we had was, uh, we had sales reps that were actually physical in all the different States. And so what, what, we would do is build relationships with a lot of these uh, retailers. So I, I would physically go into the store and like introduce myself, maybe give them a whole bunch of free samples and, and free oh, wait, products. So you would fly from, from uh, where I, I guess you, you were in Australia Canberra. at this point. Yeah. yeah. So you would fly from say, I don't know, Australia to like South Carolina or New York. Yeah, to to the actual physical locations, or we had sales okay. reps that would visit them in the physical okay. locations. So, so when I was selling, it was generally like we we knew who these people were, and so I knew a little bit of background about them. So you, there's a lot of personal chatter, getting to understand them, um, mostly talking about personal stuff, <laughs> to be frank, or gossiping about the industry, and then the sales stuff is generally it's kind of like problem solving. So it's what are you low on? What are your margins like with this? So in supplements, generally, it's like a commodity business. You have a whole bunch of different protein powders. All the protein powders are often the same. Most of them come from the same, like if you follow the chain up, most of them come from a company called Glambia, which is like in New Zealand. And, um, you know, all the whey protein comes like from a couple of main sources. They're just kind of like repackaged and all that. And so often you're trying to work out what are the margins. You're trying to work out how to incentivize the other person um, to pull your units off the shelf because you kind of got a, a double problem there. You got to push your units on there. So they have to do a purchase order and physically put units on their shelf. And then you got to work out a way to get those things off the shelf because if they don't come off the shelf after they've been put on, uh, you may get a call later and they're like, take your units back. They're going to expire or whatever. Um, and you don't want that call. So you've a lot of it's like, how do you get the units on the shelf? Um, that's going to be like margin or net terms or stuff like that. And then how are you going to pull it off? And that's in quotes marketing, but it's not really marketing. A lot of like distribution businesses that didn't really do well often thought they could like run ads near stores or whatever to get units off the shelf. But it was never that. It was always encouraging the manager in the store to kind of take a bias um, on your products versus others. And that's either better relationships, kickbacks, uh, giving way more samples than all your other competitors. Because uh, if they've got samples, they can give free samples to their customers. If the customers try the product, they'll come back and they'll um, kind of like a free trial in a SaaS, um, like free trial, no credit card. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it, it is interesting. The sales process is, is relationship building first and foremost, uh, less kind of classical like American sales hot boiler room type stuff. Um I mean, the, yeah. honestly, the more I have learned about sales and done sales myself, the more I have realized that, yeah, as you said, that boiler room perspective on sales is like maybe that happens in a small percentage of cases. But what you just said of like, you know, building rapport and getting to know them as a person, you know, establishing yourself as a like real human being who cares about them as a human being. Um, 
and then and, and just being curious about what they're trying to do and figuring out how you can solve a problem that they have and being flexible with that like that is is what sales is it's not the like you know pounding on the table like kind of you know uh, well i mean you know you, you talk about bodybuilding like the the tough guy approach right like yeah. uh of sales like that's just Maybe some people do that, but most of the time it's just, it's just talking to people. With uh, people. with with you, how much is uh your personality and like natural curiosity, and then like how much is concentrated sales skill that you've acquired? <laughs> and Ooh. and then I guess the, th- the the third pillar would be like experience, just talking to a lot of people. That's a really interesting question. I've never I've never thought about that. Um. I think it's it's like I guess I have a natural amount of sort of like curiosity and enthusiasm for people and for businesses like sometimes I think I went to business school just to like get to do a lot of case studies and just really enjoying learning about businesses like I remember when I was I I so I had an early job that um was also quite formative for me where it was like a 10 person agency and I learned so much because I, I I just could learn new things all the time and it was wonderful. Um, but I remember when I learned that like annual reports from companies were public and I was like, <laughs> like, you know, and I was like, oh, what? Like you can get all of this information and it's just on the internet. And it like, it like, <laughs> it almost feels like sort of acceptable voyeurism in a way to me. Like I just like love diving into a business. And so, um, so part of it is just that really natural enthusiasm and curiosity about people and and businesses. Um, like I just genuinely find it interesting. Um, but then a lot of it is also it's it's very targeted, right? Because like I could go off in a million directions with that curiosity, and it and and it's a matter of like knowing what's relevant and what's appropriate and what is, you know, as you said, asking about like you know what the margin they're getting from something is or, you know, what drives sales and knowing that that samples, like really understanding what makes that business tick in a way that is relevant to what you can solve. Because I think there's, mm. there's like so many, you know, every business has so many different problems and you can't possibly know about all of them and you can't possibly discuss all of them and you can't possibly solve all of them. And so it's a matter of, okay, how do I pull out what they're trying to do that's like kind of related to what we might be able to solve. And so it's, I guess it's a combination of natural curiosity, but it's very, very steered. Like I, and I, and maybe I have um, a sort of natural inclination for understanding to steer my curiosity because like, like I'm ADHD, like I will bounce (laughs) all over the walls if I don't steer myself. And that's something that I have had to learn how to do from a young age. Mm, Um, It's interesting. Yeah. So, but, so, I mean, I just like, I just love it when I get to dive into something. And, but I think it's also with sales, it's like, you know, you talk about like building the personal relationship, like you can't get too personal, like, because like people have their guard up and it's like, so how do I respect, how do I respect their boundaries and make sure that we're not, you know, from a business perspective, like they're not sharing too much. And like, there, there's this kind of dance to it that I think I, I really had to learn. It scared me at first. Um, but, um, I mean, now I, I, I definitely, I would say I enjoy, I enjoy it quite a bit. Yeah. Interesting. I don't know. It's nice hearing you talk about all that. It's, uh, 
I think like for me personally, I think the curiosity part, uh, I think I'm probably like hit more heavily indexed than like the other ones. Um, and I think if you know your business and like the problems that it solves quite well, then the curiosity, it just, I don't know, it like scopes in a certain direction. So like, if I'm really curious, I'm generally curious about new people when I talk to them and then just because I, I'm very fixated on problems that like bento solves or whatever, my curiosity just tends to follow a certain path. And the inevitable line is like using bento to solve a problem that they have or make their lives easier. Um, and that's kind of like how I navigate sales stuff. I don't, do you prep at all? Do you prep conversations before them? Uh, a little bit. I mean, I, I mean, I make sure that I understand like some stuff about the business of like, of course, like looking at their website, you know, sort of looking at as much information as I can about them. Also, so we we don't do any outbound sales. I don't know. Do do you do outbound sales? No, all inbound. Yeah. Okay. So we're so we're all inbound too. So it's like all you know people coming to us who are already interested in what we do. So I think that's where that like combination of like SEO and and sales um, mm-hmm. comes in because they're already looking for something that we do. Um, but then you know try and you know if if we have a call or if it's you know over email, just trying to understand as much as I can. Um, but I mean, a lot of times you walk into something blind, like, you know, I mean, I've had ones that reach out to me and it's just like from a Gmail address and they don't tell me what their company name is beforehand. And I'm like, all right, (laughs) here we go. Like, you know, let's see, you know, like how I approach that kind of a conversation is definitely a little bit more careful than I would. Um, if I have more information, I think quite frankly, I think it's hard for me to tamp down my, uh, enthusiasm and and bubbliness and like, um, mm. you know, put on like my business Michelle face because the way I talk to a friend or talk to somebody who I'm like just having a social conversation with is like, uh, it's just it's just a you know it's a different mood you know a different um, a different face mm. so to speak. Interesting. Okay. Cool. Yeah, I mean, and so 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 back on your story. Um, so you had this. So this was 2015. You're in Thailand. You're starting mm-hmm. to get all these these clients, diversifying away from that first client because um, of their their business. And then and then you had the idea to like roll up all these tools. Basically, it sounds like you were building as you needed for your clients to like roll them up into a SaaS. Yeah. So, um, as I was, yeah. So, so to kind of like speed up the journey, like to Bento, essentially, like I, I did consulting, like one-on-one I needed help. So I hired people online, built like a kind of full service agency, um, found the full service kind of marketing agency to be quite stressful at a certain point in time. So ended up, um, uh, downsizing, finding everyone that was in the team, uh, jobs within actual like clients, uh, or like actually, work because it was a stressful time um and i worked really hard to find people jobs so i could properly downsize and then i had a core team of um that could help me relaunch the agency as a productized service and we just basically did content marketing um and our leverage point was that we did content marketing by hiring writers in predominantly macedonia we had um a really amazing phenomenal team and a really cool source of uh, writers over there and uh downsize the company by like 90% and then kind of rebuilt it from scratch. And uh, whilst I was doing that, 
was teaching myself Ruby and teaching myself how to code. Um, so like had always known a bit of code from like WordPress and Magento. So just like basic PHP stuff or just like, you know, you install a plugin, it crashes the site. You got to get it back up again, that kind of stuff. Um, <laughs> oh, WordPress. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just, just like, like WordPress handyman stuff. <laughs> um, and then, uh, and like I, I did, like I did software stuff in school. Like I, I've always loved computers um, and, you know, could sling some HTML and CSS around, but um, I was really excited about like learning backend development and like r- learning Ruby and all that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, like as I was kind of growing the agency, um, taught myself Ruby and uh, like Ruby on Rails and then uh, built a lot of, you know, shoddy products <laughs> like you know like to do you know your to-do list and uh your pinterest clone i think that was the first app that i learned to build which was like on one month rails and then uh i because i was doing so much seo i built a rank tracker um which kind of blew up on itself because like i didn't understand databases properly <laughs> like modeled it all wrong it was a really fun project um and then eventually like i kind of had this like idea of like oh i want to build something that just helps me with consulting um you know whilst i'm around the agency like i just wanted something that could uh at the time it was people do stuff on a website and i just change how the website behaves you know they've been to the website a couple of times say welcome back that kind of stuff and i just wanted to build that um try to build it myself wasn't really too hot at it <laughs> um and so uh one year I forget which year um, I met with the lovely Andrew Culver in Tokyo. Um, I had just prior to that bought all the assets of a def- the defunct Bento company in San Francisco. <laughs> did you do you, did you listen to that? Like, what was the podcast? It was called um, Startups. Do you remember that Startups podcast? Was that the one that came out of? That wasn't the one that came out of the Y Gimlet. Combinator thing, right? Was that it? Uh, maybe, yeah. No. Yeah, you know, there's like Gimlet Media and there was like the startup podcast. Yeah, I think it, yeah I think that, that was one. It. Yeah. 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 Do you remember they like featured the Bento company on that <laughs> and they did no. meal delivery stuff? Well, I think they did. No. And um, they went bankrupt and then they listed all their social assets and websites on Flipper. Um, and so I bought them. <laughs> I so is that how was, you got that? They probably had a lot yeah. of backlinks and stuff, right? Like it did, yeah, from pretty big VCs. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. So it was, it was a good, it was a good asset. So I got the domain, got all the social links and stuff. Um, and so I had that, and I had a shoddy, um, you know, version. But you know, you know, I was in chaos. I was just doing everything right, and didn't really have something that. I was talking to Andrew. I kind of like told him my idea. And Andrew, at the time, like had the idea about Bullet Train. Like he wanted to basically build like a Rails starter app. And uh, Andrew, for context, he's the founder of um, Churnbuster. Uh, X founder, yeah. yeah. X founder, and then he he sold that, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And then, um, yeah. And so, like, I met with him, and he's like the nicest guy in the world. And I just, I don't know, I've got so much admiration for him. And we're talking, and he was getting excited about my idea, and I was getting excited about his idea, and. I was like, can I just become like the first customer? And then, um, and he's like, yes. And then uh, I actually brought him on as a, the first engine, like consultant engineer for Bento. So basically like I paid him for Bullet Train and then he helped build Bento on Bullet Train for me. So I took funds from the agency 
and put them into Andrew to help me build Bento. Um, and that was like the first couple of years actually um, was was doing that. And it was so great because like it was a large risk for me because for me at the time it was, it was pretty expensive um, and, you know, a good chunk of like cash flow. But it was like mentorship because I've never worked in a development company. Like I've never worked in a large company. I don't know software engineering practices, but I could just pay for that personal mentorship from Andrew. <laughs> and so I could learn best practices from him. I could see, see how he does his migrations. I could see how he modeled out all the schema for everything. Um, you know, I, I could learn from him by essentially paying him to build what I <laughs> what I wanted. And then over time, I would just take on stuff. I would take on responsibility. I would learn how to add a you know a column to a, a model myself i would learn how sidekick worked and not add a you know new worker or something i would learn what a ruby gem was and add new features um and just kept taking over the code base a bit by bit whilst also running the agency and doing consulting <laughs> and then um uh did that up until um, up until covid because uh, I felt like I and Andrew had some other stuff, and then I think that timeline's right up until COVID, um, and then I started just being like, oh, I think I'm good from here. Like I felt my skills were were starting to get pretty pretty solid. Um, so then basically took over the code base and ran it from there. Brought on some help from a guy called Colored, and then uh, he helped build some of the more complex features out, like our workflow automation stuff and all that kind of jazz. Learned React off him, um, and then yeah. And then me and Khaled have been just hacking like crazy the last couple of years. Uh, and then last year, I don't know, do you want me to stop? But last year, sold sold the agency uh, that I built. Uh, and then that gave me uh, a very comfortable uh, cash pile. And then moved full-time onto Bento in June last year, June, July last year. Yeah. I feel like you're like this incredibly energetic piece of clay that is – somehow infinitely malleable and full of like oh we'll do this over here okay well then we'll do this next thing and then we'll do this next thing and like just sort of building all of these things on top of each other all the time and adding all of these skills all the time like it's i mean it's pretty amazing and like as a, a like a founder personality is incredibly powerful thank you i don't know how to like respond to that um there's there's weird dynamics though like at play with that if I'm gonna be like real frank, like I I was always doing stuff because I was always I never wanted to go home to not because like I didn't have good stuff at home I just for some reason didn't want to go back to Sydney <laughs> and so like I always wanted to keep traveling I I loved Asia I loved Europe I like didn't want to go back home essentially um, and I love my family I got a really I've got a phenomenal relationship with both my dad and my mom and my sister who's now in Melbourne. Um, but I think after like I left school in Sydney, like to go to Canberra, there was like no real reason, like all my friends were abroad. <laughs> and so I, and I, I didn't kind of get that close, uh, university type thing going on. Um, and so all my friends were abroad and like, I, I just didn't want to leave, you know, that I identity is maybe the word. And so I think I just worked really hard to keep going. Uh, and then also moving into Japan was, I think, an acknowledgement that like uh, maybe I need to slow down a little bit because <laughs> I think I was kind of like burning out, um, just working too much and kind of taking too much on, which I still do in Japan, but it's a, a little bit easier to kind of get a grip on it um, and kind of bounce back. But yeah, in terms of like learning stuff and always doing new things, it was just because I, I just wanted to keep 
the adventure going. I wanted to kind of keep traveling. I wanted to keep doing cool stuff. And if I could do cool stuff, I don't know. Um, I could continue doing cool stuff. Uh, I, I do want to kind of go bust and then have to kind of go home. Does that make sense? Yeah, that that does. Yeah. And I mean, I feel like we could keep talking about this forever. Um, knowing that so many of our listeners listen to us while they are out running or walking the dog, their legs might be get t- getting tired or their dog might need some water. Um, so I feel like I have to force myself to cut this off. But um, you're such a fascinating person. Like you should write a book someday. Like I, I just I like your background is is amazing. And just like how you have been able to build these businesses. Um, I mean, I feel like we even barely scratched the surface on what Bento itself does um but suffice to say you are a wonderful human being and such an impressive founder and people should totally like follow you on twitter you're always posting stuff about what you're working on and oh is that the dog in the background yes the dog i think there's a postman coming he's about to go go nuts (laughs) so maybe it's a good time to wrap this up (laughs) well for dog pictures uh and code and founder stuff and japan and everything else uh, go check out Jesse Haney on Twitter. Thank you so, so much for doing this today. Um, seriously, Thanks. so great to have you on. Thanks so much for having me on. Thanks for being so nice. I, it was a really good chat. It was really, really <laughs> fun. Super spontaneous as well, which was fun. Yeah. All right. Cool. Uh, we'll talk to you uh, or everybody else next week. <laughs> Ciao. Huge thanks to all of our listeners who've become software socialites and support our show. Chris from Chipper CI the daringly handsome Kevin Griffin, and Mike from Gently Used Domains, who has a nice personality, Dave from Recut, Max of Online or Not, Stefan from Talk to Stefan, Brendan Andrade of Brightbits, Team Tuple, Alex Hillman from The Tiny MBA, Rami from Hovercode and Rocket Gems, Jane and Benedict from UserList, Kendall Morgan, Ruben Gomez of Signwell, Corey Haynes of Swipewell, Mike Wade of Crowd Sentry. Nate Ritter of Roomsteals, Anna Mast of SubscribeSense, Jeff Roberts from Outsetta, Justin Jackson, MegaMaker, Jack Ellis and Paul Jarvis from Fathom Analytics, Matthew from Appointment Reminder, Andrew Culver at Bullet Train, John Coster, Alex of Corso Systems, Richard from Stunning, Josh the Annoyingly Pragmatic Founder, Ben from ConsentKit, John from Credo and Editor Ninja, Cam Sloan, Michael Copper of Nusi Proposals, Chris from URL Box, Callie of Toslet, Greg Park from Trait Lab, Adam from Rails Autoscale, Lana and Alex from Recapsi, Joe Mazzalotti of RailsDevs.com, Proud Mama from Applenet LLC, Anna from Cradle, Monsef from Ruby on Mac, Steve of Be Inclusive, Simon Bennett of Snapshooter Backups, Josh Smith of Keyhero.io, Jesper Christensen of Form Backend, Matthew of Works Cited, Chris of JetBoost.io, Daryl Shannon of Docomatic, Larabelles, a community for Larabelle developers underrepresented due to their gender. Brendan from Feederloop. Pascal from Sharpen.Page. Lynn Romick from Convini. Arvid Call, James Sowers from Castaway.fm. Jessica Malnick. Damian Moore of Audio Audit Podcast Checker. Eldon from Nodal Studios. Mitchell Davis from RecruitKit.